Welcome to Food and Loathing, a zero-calorie, gluten-free, vegan-friendly conversation about a belly full of things that are usually none of the above. I'm your host, Al Mancini, joined by my co-host and my recent football culinary supervisor, <laughs> Rick Moonen. More on that in just a moment. Engineering for us, as always, my favorite knob twister, Rich Johnson. Let's also remember we're free range as well. We are free range. Yes. I don't take advantage of that very much. I'm more like <laughs> cage fed, I think. Um, I, I've got the fat body fat to prove it. We're coming to you today from the beautiful and the brand spanking new Carver Steak in the also beautiful and still under factory warranty Resorts World Casino. Seriously, it still has that new casino scent. Maybe you guys just got one of those pine tree air fresheners next time you took last time you took it in for a wash. I don't know. Um, hello, Rich, Rick. How are yeah. you guys today? Man, I'm terrific, Al. Yeah, really yeah. recovering from the weekend, as we'll talk about. Yes, um, we're definitely going to get to that in just a minute. This is our second episode, actually, that's been based out of Resorts World, and it's the first time we've ever done an entire show from one location. It's not simply because we like Resorts World a lot, although personally I do. Yeah, but we're be here. We're here. I can't even talk today. This is what happens when you don't do an edibles review. <laughs> All sorts of discombobulated. Um, anyway, we're here today because this is the hot new steakhouse, Carver Steak. It's the home of a brilliant veteran chef, Daniel Ontiveros, where that's where we're sitting right now. It's also located directly next door to the home of my number one go-to ask her anything because she always knows the answer, steak expert. At least in the state of Nevada, perhaps in the world, Miss Nicole Brisson. Yeah. Yay. And Las Vegas is a steakhouse city. More being announced every day. One was announced yesterday. We'll get to that momentarily. It's not unusual to have two world-class steakhouses within spitting distance of each other. But these are among the very best, and they're literally, literally right next door to each other. So I figured if we invited them both to this segment, it would be hard for you guys to say no. Apparently, I was right. <laughs> so um, in just a few minutes, we're going to explore the world of beef, steak, and steakhouses with Chef Daniel and mm -hmm. Chef Nicole. And, of course, Rick Moonen, you are a, um, a steakhouse guy yourself these days. Right? As, as, a, as life has uh, progressed, yes, I yeah. have uh, gotten involved with uh, Perry's. It's a steakhouse uh, chain. Not chain, they hate to say, but it's a, a group of restaurants, 21 of them, so... They're, uh, a restaurant group? Is, well, most, is it a steak program? <laughs> well, it's a 40, 40 year old concept, you know. So it's a deeply rooted. They start out as a butcher shop, blah, blah, blah. So it's, yeah, that's my life right now. Nice. So before we get to our steak segments, that part of the show where we run down where we've been, and um, Rick and I have some Raiders memories to share. But first, Rich, I understand you were one of the few brave souls who were consuming electronics at this <laughs> year's industry yeah. show, um, located just through the jillion dollar Elon Musk ego tunnel from where we are seated right now um the consumer electronics show at yeah. the las vegas convention center usually, what was that like usually there's like 150 170,000 people they're saying 40,000 showed up for a ces this year there was definitely some naked empty spaces here and there where some of the big people uh pulled out but i, I found a few things and, and always looking for food things i found something called steambox ahmed one of its inventors calls it a self-heating lunchbox. So I fill it up with food at home, like leftovers or, or something I made that's cold, and it is powered how? So it uses a battery to reheat the food. So it's not like uh, a lot of people assume that it keeps the food hot 
during the entire day. It's not what we do. That actually creates bacteria if you do that for too long of a period. What we do is really heat up the, reheat up the food when you want it to. So there's a battery in this thing. There's a little container of water that I assume the battery or the, the heater heats up, creates steam, thereby heating the food, and you control not the temperature so much, but the time that it heats? Yes, it's exactly what we do. We try to keep it as simple as possible. If you start working with temperatures, there are a lot of stuff and things and factors that are into play. We wanted to stick to what people are familiar with, which is the microwave. You don't look at the temperatures of the microwave food, right? You put it in, turn it on, you take it out, it's hot, no, okay, put it back in. That's how easy we wanted to keep it. Couple quick questions to end this. Uh, when can I get this and how? You can still place a pre-order now on www.steam-box.com until April. In April we start shipping and then it will be direct shipping. And of course, how much? Yes, so the retail price from April onwards will be $229. But for now, for the pre-order period from now until April, uh, people get a reduction of $29. Um, or actually $30, so $199 at this moment. So one big roadblock on this thing, it's heavy. It's about four pounds. It's a, a box, like a gift box is about, was that the best way to describe it. They're working on a sleeve and a, a sling so you can put it over your shoulder like a courier bag. Or you could just buy hot food somewhere. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Unless it's, you know, your stuff and you need your free-range, fair-trade, uh, gluten-free, <laughs> vegan uh, stuff that you've made at home. So unless you're bringing something like that, uh, and you got to refrigerate it, I mean, unless you've got it all sealed up, you need to put that stuff in a refrigerator. And if you're at the office and you've got a refrigerator, they probably got a microwave too. So is 200 bucks worth it? Well, they, they, they will find out. I've thrown away a lot of money on a lot of dumbass shit, and I don't see myself lining up for this one. No. Nah. I mean, no. God bless him. I wish him well. I'm sure somebody invested a Stick lot of money. Stick it with your bug out bag so when you have to flee <laughs> from the zombies yeah. up on the mountain, you'll have that. Yeah, I, I just don't know. Yeah. A lot of batteries. <laughs> um, next, as we mentioned earlier, Rick and I spent some time at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday, although we saw very little of the game. <laughs> Rick, can you explain what we were doing up there on Billionaire's Row, known as the 150 suite level, I believe is the one yeah, we were on? 50. These are the suites that surround the entire, uh, you know, playing field, you know, and there's like 50 something of them for $800,000 a year. I thought you it was 600000 Something. Something, was, something it, dumb like some, that. A lot of money. Yeah. You get it for the year, you know, and so well, they bring in celebrity chefs or uh, Levy, the uh, organization that does the, the, organizes the food and runs the concessions and everything in uh, the stadium. They, uh, they asked if I would make an appearance. So I said, sure. I put together a menu of crudo, of kahala, Forever Ocean's kahala. I had uh, my chowder. I had a uh, seared kahala on a, a green papaya salad and um, oysters. I had uh, Fannie Bay oysters with some phytoplankton powder on it, Passmore Ranch. That was a good buddy dream. of mine. Really great caviar. I got to talk to you about this. But anyway, Michael's been a friend of mine for many, many years. He was standing there putting like five ounce, five grams of caviar on an oyster. Wow. We're having a blast, wow. you know, but 1,000 tastings, I don't have I don't have a kitchen, a restaurant really, so I did it out of my home. So since Wednesday last last week, I've been just prepping 15 gallons of, uh, you know, clam chowder base, making it there to bring it up to 25 gallons. And it was just a lot of logistics is what, uh, cooking's easy. I mean, I can cook 
forget it. You know, we've done this a thousand times. But getting from one east side to the west side, oh, yeah. I logged with this aura ring that I wear, 26.1 <laughs> miles. I could have walked. Nice. That's walking home. Yeah. You're in shape to play in the <laughs> Raiders game, man. But, man, and, but you came to volunteer to help me out, and it was a lot of fun, man. You know, we, all in all. We had a blast. Rick said, um, you know, Al, Sue, you guys always say, if you ever need anything. We, you know, so he's like, let's see, let's see money talks, bullshit <laughs> box, cash, right? I cashed in. <laughs> um, so he cashed that in, and and it was great. I mean, I, look, I would do anything for Rick, of course. He, he does this for me every week. This is great, and we do this. But um, it's one of those things that seems so glamorous, right? You're going to be cooking for the billionaires, and you're at a football stadium, brand new place. And then, of course, we're like, Rick, what time should we show up? First, it's like 12 o'clock, then 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And we get there. And, and I have to say, it's always good to do these things because – I think more people need to actually be in a kitchen and see what is done rather than just watch what's done on Top Chef and the fun, exciting stuff. And man, if if there was not a reality check, first thing we get into the basement of Allegiant Stadium and it's like, okay, you guys are picking herbs, yeah. right? And we're just pulling salon. Well, my herb leaves. pickers had other skill levels that I needed them to work on. Yeah. So it's just like. So so we picked cilantro for you know an hour and a half and it was great. And I was actually told that I should be thankful because the gentleman who was shucking oysters said to me. Oh, you know, I used to pick herbs for Brian Howard, and he made me do it in the walk-in. So the herbs <laughs> maintained their integrity. Right? So at least I had heat while I picked the herbs. Yeah, you had the burrito um, station work. And then, we, you know, we had a lot of fun. Um, Sue and I were not at Rick's station, so we didn't get yelled at very much. I only got yelled at once for talking while I should have been picking. Um, but other than that, we got up to the station. We were at a different station. I was the guy who got to dollop those big things of caviar onto those oysters so that was fun my sue had a blast pouring i'm um, ladling out the soup like the world's most expensive soup kitchen i guess right and <laughs> no um, soup for you <laughs> and it was great you know telling everybody that i mean man she's a good saleswoman she told everybody this is going to be life-altering um, clam chowder the, the best clam chowder you've ever had and every single person agreed with her um and we had a blast up there so I, I do have to say, man, it's been a long time since I've been kicked out of a venue. Oh, boy. And it's happened a lot. And usually it's pretty justified. <laughs> what do you do now, Al? Kicked out of Allegiant Stadium. And, and I love this because I was so well behaved. So yeah. we had gotten there and they said, okay, look, you're on the suite level. We, I went with Rick for a walkthrough. They told us what we can, what we can't do. Mm -hmm. you know, pretty simple. Don't drink up here. Makes sense where you're working. No yeah. problem. Um, you guys have to get, you know, you work until the eight minute mark of the first quarter. Then you're on your own. Find a place to watch the game and they showed us some cool free places to watch the game mm -hmm. well yeah that's fine when it's empty right there's a lot of good places to see yeah. the field from in an empty <laughs> stadium but in a full stadium a little rough for us to find a spot so we got off and sue's like i need a beer we went we bought a beer we did not take advantage of any of the comps any of that shit bought a beer we're walking around couldn't find a good place we're on our way out of the stadium and i see the champions club little escalator down to the champions yeah, club yeah. and i know i had been told that we could watch the game from there now yep. if you've never been to allegiant it's pretty amazing it's field level mm -hmm. and i mean you're literally standing behind the players while you're there and wow. a lot of free food a lot of free booze in the inside so we didn't go that that we just went outside and we stood there and took some pictures of us on the field right which is just cool as shit whether you like football or not um and we're there about 10 minutes posting and i get a little tap on the shoulder very nice young lady comes over asks if she could see us on the side never a good sign i'm at an event and i get the tap how right? easy to pick out of a crowd yeah that's true you, you can't hide and blend into a crowd with this hair right so um basically long story short we were told that um we got down there using our our employee badge 
which is fine, but that employees are not allowed to consume alcohol. I think they were worried that we were supposed to be working at the time and we were down there drinking. Mm-hmm. We, we t- explained to them that we were off duty and that we were on our way out the door. And they were like, well, then you could just continue on your way out the door. <laughs> like, okay, no problem. She seemed a little relieved that I didn't throw a hissy fit. And, you know, if this had been the old days, like when I drunkenly got kicked out of Glenn Danzig shows and always like, would manage to sneak my way back in, it would have been a lot of fun. But I was actually stone cold sober and I was happy to leave and listen to the rest of the game on the radio on the way home but i gotta say first visit to allegiance stadium kicked out of the vip area i'm feeling well done well done yay do you know who i think i am (laughs) yeah i say that a lot oh man Uh, a couple more quick mentions of things i've done the past week i helped judge a pizza contest over at side piece in red rock along with foodie instagrammer drew belcher which is um at unlocked unlokt and the beautiful las vegas showgirl from fantasy at the luxor mariah rivera and, you know, if you want to know why I always say yes to opportunities like this, is because I'm always hoping that perhaps I'll get to rub elbows with the Las Vegas showgirl. Yeah, it's a long not? shot, but it finally <laughs> paid off. The winning pizza, known as French's Choice, uh, was based on a recipe submitted by a local named French. He would not tell me his last name unless I signed an NDA. No shit. I mean, I don't know what state this guy was in when we were chatting, but I declined. <laughs> I do know that you can find him online at Real Fat Boy French, and he did oh. tell me about <laughs> his pizza, which featured um, pesto, Alfredo, grilled chicken, peppers, parmesan, arugula. Um, yeah, we've, got, we've got tape of him talking, so let's play Fat Boy French. Shout out Las Vegas Scoop, shout out my man Steve Capo, because we made this shit happen. Oh yeah. Francais pizza right there, French choice. Pesto, chicken, motherfucking cheese, obviously. No heartburn, because there's no tomato sauce. So old motherfuckers like me and you can eat that shit. Oh yeah. Ah, fat boy French. Old motherfuckers like me and him gonna eat that shit. Yeah, baby. Oh, um, that's actually pizza's being served at wow. Side Piece through January 15th. So um, you still got a couple days to get in there. Also paid a visit to Anima by EDO in the Gramercy. They were soft open when I went in. They're now officially open. Oh, nice. Awesome. Get your asses in there. Um, look, soft opening, you certainly would never review based on a soft opening. Got to say, anything that didn't work was still interesting to me, and I'm glad I tried it. And I know that it's only going to get better as time goes by. EDO, I mean, they're just one of the the hidden gems oh, in no Las kidding. Vegas. Oh, yeah. Soul, you can taste the soul in the food, the flavors, the combinations, the creativity. I love going to EDO, so uh, eh, I can't can't wait to check out. Cool. Yeah, def- they're in the Gramercy, so definitely check them out when you get a chance. Quick mention: after putting Sue to work on Sunday, I wanted to take her out for a date night. We did all Salito Posto. Um, brilliant place we finally get to order things that i want just familiar comfort food and um man that jersey italian <laughs> yeah i mean that's it man i'm yeah. a jersey boy and once in a while you know that restaurant is a testament to the fact that if you think a dish is overdone and boring and you've seen too many shitty chefs do it and you, you think that means it's a bad dish bullshit it's pro- it's a great dish that's why so many shitty chefs can do things with it yeah. go back and have a good chef do it and somebody have a good like, version of it. yeah, yeah, yeah sure. a good version of it. That's what Osolito Posto is all about, man. It's dishes that you recognize, you've had them before, but they're just treated with respect and the kind of respect they don't always get at your corner pizza place. Mm. I had a chicken parm and shit, man. That was a good chicken parm. Yeah, I love a good chicken parm. They just sold typically. It's just sold. I know. Like and three, we're, 3D has it now. We'll see what happens. That'd be interesting. Hopefully, going to have some info on that next week. Maybe yeah. if I get yeah. something to talk to me. Yeah. It is time to talk steak. This is Food and Loathing. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello again from Carver Steak, where we are joined for this segment by two of the finest chefs on the Las Vegas Strip and two people who know more about beef than Tupac and Biggie in the mid-90s. <laughs> First up, our host for the day, executive chef of Carver Steak and a man whose career I have followed from Bouchon to Fremont Street to the Palms, briefly at T-Bones at Red Rock. Am I getting this all right, Mr. Daniel Ontiveros? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, thank you for having us in here. And... Right, also joining us, and the the woman who brought us some snacks, which are delicious <laughs> this morning that we're enjoying here at Carver Steak, is Carver's next door neighbor at the beautiful Brezza, the one-time head of Mario Batali's local culinary empire, where she was the woman behind Carnivino's legendary beef program. And man, that seriously, that is still people still it's, talk about. Still want to talk about, yeah. Um, she opened Italy at Park MGM before spending some time off strip at Locale and Pizzeria Manzu. The one person I call whenever I have a question about a cow. I can only be speaking about the brilliant chef Nicole Brisson. Is it Brisson or Brisson? It, it's French, so I try not to be pretentious. But <laughs> it's Brisson. 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 Okay, thank you. So, I'm glad yeah. you cleared that up. I always wondered, too. <laughs> so I mangle everybody's name at all times. Um, so you are Resorts World neighbors. You've got a nice, beautiful shared patio out out in the front where you can look at the pepper mill or um, Ross dress for less, <laughs> depending on which way you look. Um, let's start with comparing and contrasting your two restaurants, because while it's not unusual to have a lot of steakhouses in one resort, I mean, I believe, Nicole, when you were at um, Venetian Palazzo, there were four in there. Oh, yeah. We had Cut. We had Delmonico's. We had Carnivino, we morels. had morels. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so it's it's not that unusual, but right next door to each other, maybe a little unusual, but you are very different restaurants that you have going on, even though you both have great steak. It, well, I wouldn't necessarily describe Brazil as a steakhouse. I would, it's an I would, Italian it, restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant, and we're very pasta-centric. In retrospect, I probably would have built another pasta tank because we are just selling so much pasta. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, you know, we obviously we wanted to my name is synonymous with steak so i didn't really have a choice to to open without a big meat program and we started a dry aging program off the strip prior to opening brezza and uh that was partly because we knew carver wasn't going to be here yet so we we had a void to fill within the hotel and i didn't want to compete with daniel because i knew he was going to do something very different he's got wagyu cuts he's got he's got flannery beef you know so we both have very very different beef programs everything that I'm purchasing for Bistake de Brisson right now is 
uh, Creekstone beef, which, as you know, I think we talked when I was actually out at the slaughterhouse one day. Um, I've spent time in the slaughterhouse. I've spent time on the farms with the cattle ranchers, and I just really stand behind their program. And, you know, the fact that Temple Brandon designed their <clears throat> kill floor and, and their slaughterhouse, it just it resonates to, to everything that I believe in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Temple, wow, and great name when you talk about the humane treatment of, of beef. And there's who's who's in that movie about her? There's an HBO film about Temple Grandin. Um, Is it Claire Danes? Claire Danes. She does yes. a great job with the role too. She yeah. did a really really great job. If anybody hasn't watched it, it's it's Definitely. hands down one of the best. And you're sending beef to people's houses as well, right? Uh, that's a loaded question right now. Well, no, 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 I. I we are. <laughs> We're trying to nail down logistics because we hadn't quite. We hadn't. We op- just opened two restaurants. And <laughs> a little busy. <laughs> a lot of just like. <laughs> and now we're trying to develop the e-commerce side and, and that arm. And it, we've had a tremendous amount of interest. I mean, people from all over the United States just asking to get the beef to San Francisco or New York or or L.A. And so now we just have to find uh, all the packaging and it's not easy and it's it's there's a lot of logistics yeah. that I didn't really anticipate but um we're we're Jason Rochlow and Katie Conway my PR person are really helping me try to nail down in the next the next month or so so okay so coming soon Great steaks, aged by Nicole Brisson. Um, So, Chef Daniel, we're sitting here in the private dining room of um, one of the private dining rooms at Carver Steak. This room's beautiful. Uh, Some amazing knives on the wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I could get ready for a samurai fight in this room (laughs) right now. Sword right behind you, as a matter of fact. And then on the other side, some whiskeys. Carver Steak, I was here for the grand opening, haven't been in for a meal, might be coming in for my wife's birthday towards um, late February, that's what we're thinking, she always wants to go into a new steakhouse for her birthday, Um, but tell people what you're doing at Carver, because interestingly enough, when I had you on last week, part that we mentioned um, when I interviewed you at the grand opening party, Mm -hmm. you mentioned some non-beef dishes, which you think are going to be signature dishes, so it's not purely a steakhouse here either, right? It's not, it's not, no. So we're, aside from the beef program and, and the three different types of Wagyu that we have and, and you know, from wet age and, and dry age, we have a vegan menu as well that we're, we're going to start pushing really hard here soon. Um, we have a vegan chop on the menu um, and it's... It's, it's almost a take on tempeh, if you will, but um, this one's, and, and I don't like tempeh, but yeah, I made a little my, spongy for me. I made my own version of a, of a, um, of a vegan chop and it's just five different, it's, it's five to six different types of grains and legumes. Um, and it's all bound together with a little bit of a cheek, uh, chickpea, um, powder, mm-hmm. um, mushrooms, some vinegar, lots of herbs, shallots, things like that. And it's all molded together, pan seared, a little olive oil. Um, we serve that with a chimichurri sauce, a um, little frisee salad with dressed a little lemon juice. And that's, that's really it. Um, and that's our entree. Uh, we have chickpea fries on the, on the menu with the jalapeno, uh, like a jalapeno dip. Um, it's jalapeno, avocado, cashew, uh, almost like a cashew butter mm-hmm. as, as your base. Um, what else? Uh, a lot of umami there, man. Yeah. yeah. 
You also have, I mean, fantastic cocktail program. You have Francesca LaFranconi, who I just saw in the other room, who people may remember from um, from Mr. Coco at the Palms, one of the greatest cocktail lounges, short-lived but brilliant cocktail lounge, best Las Vegas has ever had. He's a walking encyclopedia. He knows. You you pick a bottle off of a shelf, so he'll tell you the history of it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's 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 great working with him. And Stephen Lindsay Geddes doing your wine program. Wine program. Yep. Who were ladling um, chowder with us the other day? Yeah. At Allegiant. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, so, and then, of course, this is from Sean Christie. You guys have a nightlife kind of nightclub-y background, this company. So is this intended to be a party spot, a dinner spot, a little of both? Will there be DJs in here? What's the, the vibe there? There, there uh, will be DJs in here, but it won't be your typical nightlife, like, club spot at all. It's it's more, it's intended to, to be more of a... Uh, nicer environment nothing it's the, the music's not going to get too loud and no, there's not gonna be any fist pumping going on here <laughs> like that um uh, even though they, they come from a background of of uh nightclubs and stuff like that this is we're fully we're we're focused on um hospitality here more of a mood food. setting it's uh, a mood scenario. setting yeah it's the, vegas hey you know a little this, raucous the, yeah it's energy. a great steakhouse um but yeah no fist pumping here <laughs> we'll be able to hold a conversation during my dinner oh absolutely what you're absolutely wow Okay. Novelty yeah. here. It's not a Steve Martirano restaurant. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's not SDK. Uh, no, it definitely. Uh, okay. So, but the reason I have you both here is I really want to talk about steaks. Las Vegas, I don't know if we have more steakhouses than, I'm sure Texas has a lot more. But if you want to talk about quality steakhouses in a concentrated space, mm-hmm. I can't think of anybody that has a higher level of quality beef in a three and a half mile stretch of one road. It's astounding. Um, there are a lot of reasons to pick a steakhouse, environment, atmosphere, what you're looking for are all really important. But I want to talk about just picking a steakhouse for the steak or picking a steak when you get in the door. Because everybody eats steak. We were all, we're Americans, we're a beef country. And yet a lot of people are still very intimidated by the vocabulary when they walk into a fine steakhouse. So I'm going to try to run you guys through a few of the real basics. Let's start with how a cow is raised. Okay. Let's, when, when we see things like grass fed, grain fed, grain finished, things like that. My understanding, and please correct me because I'm always wrong. Um, <laughs> my understanding is that cows are really supposed to eat grass, but America has too much fucking corn, so we force feed them corn, and that that's not really the healthiest way in the world. But maybe I'm, I've just, I know I've oversimplified it. Am I close to being right? <laughs> I, I would say that's a, a very kind of basic definition, but uh, the thing that I think confuses Americans specifically is when you travel overseas and you're in Europe and you're you're I lived in Italy for a long time and you see the Chianinas who are these beautiful gorgeous white cows they have those robust shoulders and you see a steak from a Chianina and it's just mm-hmm. it's huge and it's mm-hmm. lean and it's bright red and you're cooking it over an open fire and it's 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 got chew to it it's it's grassy it's That's herbaceous so and it's it's so good it reminds you of like Argentinian beef or yeah you or, don't see any marbling you know first no, of all it's kind of off putting you're like Ugh. it is you know but if you go to agriturismo what do they call them that just yeah. get a big chunk of meat it's unbelievable it, it is but it has to be cooked the right way and it has way. to be it has to be served the right way mm-hmm. and Americans just naturally gravitate towards that butter popcorn finish and steak. That's the best way I can describe it. And that's from the corn finish and beef. Mm. And I, I think that Americans just, their palates aren't trained for grass fed. 
So, it's so a lot healthier to eat grass fed. It is. Lot, it's a lot healthier. In, in South America, they don't have nearly the heart disease that we have, but they eat a lot more steak. But it's because mm. it's grass fed. I, again, maybe an oversimplification. Yeah, but I mean, again, if if you have great marbleization, and, and Daniel can talk about this with his Wagyu program, it just has to be good fat it has to, the beef has mm-hmm. to be raised well it has mm-hmm. to it has to be fed well and you know you want that marbleization because because marbleization is flavor and and that's what's going to make it yeah also delicious yeah fat is flavor <laughs> but, fat but, is but, flavor. but you fat have to flavor. you have to structure your diet accordingly you know i mean i think just as americans we just consume way too much beef unfortunately and mm-hmm. you know i i've been talking about this a lot with the slow food chapter that we just created here in Las Vegas. Like I just, I would really want people to eat more bison and eat more, Agreed. more mm-hmm. elk and eat more venison. And mm-hmm. just, we should really kind of. Whatever di- happened to duck? Exactly. Diversify our diets a little <laughs> Duck's bit Duck's pretty fatty. <laughs> well, well, I'm just saying. A lot saying. of good flavor, but yeah, I love duck. I was just, we had this conversation with somebody the other day. I mean, when Sue and I first moved in together, I'm talking about the eighties. Yeah. We would buy duck in our grocery store and just like roast up a duck, like, Twice a month, you know. I, I found a capon at Butcher Block the other day, and <laughs> yeah, I was so excited. You know, I couldn't wait. Oh, to... I had uh, I had duck since I was eight years old because my father was a hunter in Oregon, mm-hmm. and we would get the wild duck. You know, I was in my mid twenties before I had Peking duck. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. that was about? I don't know. You roast it in mushrooms and cream sauce. <laughs> Back to the cows. Rich yeah. was asking about what a cow oh, yeah. versus just, a steer. Yeah, just to clarify the language, we're talking about steers, castrated male beef. Not cows, you know, beef who a female who have given birth to a, for dairy, right? Steers. Yeah. Okay. For the most part, although yeah. I did just have a a, a heifer, I guess, or a, no, a Holstein. That's I thought a, it was a milk cow Holstein. at um yeah. at Bizarre Meat. Yeah, and Holstein, she, Holstein is a is a dairy cattle. Right, yeah. and I think she was like seven or eight years old at the time yeah, of harvest. Typically they lived a little longer, slaughtered older. Yeah. 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 So there, but that is a rarity to have that. It's usually a very young male steer mm-hmm. that is that is eaten, right? Correct. Let me ask you. So we talked about what they're fed. What about we always hear hormone free, antibiotic free, right? Things like that. Could could we explain? Could you guys explain why some animals are given hormones and antibiotics and things like that, and why we want to generally avoid that? Well, Al and I have talked about this at length over the years, and I really got invested into my animal programs because of this. I, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease at my early 20s. I'm now in my 40s. And it's an autoimmune disease where your thyroid is dead. Pigs and chickens and turkeys are naturally born with thyroid disease. So we started pumping them full of antibiotics to actually make them survive the elements. And that's, you know, it, we talked about this with Frank Reese's chickens and turkeys I purchased for Thanksgiving. They he 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 basically started a conservatory out in Kansas and he's a fourth generation chicken and turkey farmer and a lot of these breeds have died out across across the United States and what he's doing is trying to preserve them he's now in his mid 70s and if he dies a lot of this knowledge dies with him so um now he's basically created this conservatory to to train people our age and and younger individuals in the industry to really kind of support this effort and and really save some of these prehistoric mm-hmm. birds and mm-hmm. you see them and they almost look prehistoric. I mean, they have like huge waddles and, and, and they're gorgeous, but it's, you know, it, it all comes from the commodity market in America. You know, we, we tried to like force so many heads of cattle through, through slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. same with chickens, you know, and it was all about speed and, and slaughtering 
it, whether it was a chicken or a cow or anything else, just so young because we were going through such massive quantities of meat. And that's why when you go to somewhere like Bazaar Meat and you have a Spanish program, they're they're celebrating how you would eat in Spain, and they're gonna they're gonna slaughter much older at seven years, six years. You know, we just wouldn't do that in the states because we we don't usually have that luxury. You know, they they haven't been around that long. Right. And, and uh, we have to feed that that fast food hamburger cheap, inexpensive, you know, supersize it, put an extra patty on it, um, keep the meat cheap, right? Which means... Well, that's also another point. It's like aging wine. You know, that that steer, the longer it lives, it's still got to eat. It's still got to, it's got to be cared for. And that all costs money the longer, yeah. you know, the longer it's in existence. So, you know, it's, I, I think it really boils down for us as chefs and you as a consumer respecting the animal, respecting the animal, respecting what you're putting in your body. Because as I mentioned, Hashimoto's disease, like the reason why I have a disease like this is because our food system is broken, Mm -hmm. you know, and until you really focus on what you're putting in your body and take control of your own health, you're never going to fix that. And there's, there's a lot of scary things happening once you go out there really investigating your food. So uh, when we, when I dine at, at, a steakhouse should I be looking for them to tell me it's it's hormone free or you know I, I think so and also, and, and also kind of stuff? do your research on the farm you know do your research on Flannery beef do your research on Creekstone you know know like be empowered by by what you're what you're purchasing and, and you're putting into your body and, and the brand of the ranch the brand of the farmer that matters it right does. It, I, does. it does and I mean Creekstone is a collection of, of cattle ranchers you know he they might have a cattle rancher that has 50 head or they might have one that has 150 head but you know it's it's about the processes and doing it the correct way and focusing on the feed and you know Happy animals are tasty. Yeah, well, I, I've been told that, True. you know, if a highly stressed animal secretes a lot of uh, enzymes and, and yeah. um, I'm trying to forget that adrenaline, you know, mm-hmm. prior to being murdered, you know, it gets pretty nervous, yeah. adrenaline, and, and that really screws up the taste of the beef. I mean, I don't want to, again, oversimplify it, but a happier animal is going to taste better, is what I've always been Absolutely. told. A cow that gets to eat the way it normally should, you know, grass. Yeah. You don't see a cow standing up on its hind legs picking corn, ever. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, <laughs> and, like and, and the older they get, the more oxygen, if they get to move around, the oxygen to the muscles, that completely changes the uh, the, 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 the structure of the muscle. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we're talking about. And, and that's what Temple Brandon did with the slaughterhouses. She she really designed it to, to make the cows feel like they were in that outside environment. They were mm-hmm. relaxed when they're back in the days of, of having that iron... What's it called? Like the cattle prod, prod that yeah. you you push the cattle through through the line. You know, it, she would take uh, colors that the cow would recognize, and whether it be a orange and blue paddle, so that they they naturally follow. They follow, yeah. And you know, they are they're used to curves, they're used to rounded edges. You know, it, it's about understanding the animal and, and what makes them comfortable, and yeah. and you know. Oh, I always say I don't have a problem with killing an animal to eat it. Um, you know, everything dies. Death is, you know, part of life. But I, I am concerned with how the animal lived but, and how, how comfortable it was while it lived. Well, and, that's what they say about the heritage breeds all the time. To eat them is to save them. And that's what people don't understand. They're like, yeah. well, why would I eat them? Because they're they're, they're in danger of going yeah. in, in, sta- in ah, ex- extinct. extinct. But, you know, we, we have to, I guess, have a better understanding. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the breed of chicken that fit perfectly in a KFC butt bucket almost killed out so many other breeds of chickens you know there's not there's no such thing as a cornish game hen anymore our our parents our grandparents great-grandparents they loved cornish game no they're just immature chickens now it's a now it's a tiny it's a a one pound chicken yeah yeah (laughs) 
Um, let's talk a bit about grading. Prime choice select, you know, tend to be the ones that you, that Americans are used to seeing. We'll get into also a you know a five and things like that. But um, Prime, it's the top, right? Mm-hmm. Man who used to work at Scotch Eighty Prime, yes, and that was right. yes, <laughs> the, yes, the, yes, the best. Um, is is Prime something that you should always be looking for in a restaurant, or is, is that? I mean, because it's a very small percentage of American ca- beef is actually certified Prime. So, should people be that obsessed with it? And what's it refer to? The amount of marbling, or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Prime beef is is obviously one a lot of people are looking for that Prime beef. Um, you know, selection. Um, it, it has to do with a lot with marbling, um, but it also the the quality and flavor of the beef is is where it's going to be at as well. Um, you know, I think like f- for prime, you have prime choice select commodity. You know, um, but there are also some choice like they call it upper two thirds choice or eighteen fifty five black Angus. You know, which are absolutely delicious. And believe it or not, you could put a prime fillet right next to a you know let's say eighteen fifty five or something like mm-hmm. that, um, and it, it's going to eat. You know, if somebody, especially for somebody who's a filet connoisseur and that's all they eat is filet, I've put up, you know, that upper two thirds choice filet next to a prime filet and they're going to like nine times out of 10, they will pick the, the opposite. Choice. They'll yeah. pick the, and, and they won't know the difference, you know, but it, so it, it, it all depends right on a flavor um, versus, you know, what, how the cow was raised and things like that. When we get into the Japanese grading systems, we all know a five, right? And the, as I've been told, that that really affects a lot of that has to do with yield, how much meat you get off of a steak. There's actually a one to twelve scale in Japanese beef. That's, yeah, it goes and, from a a a one to to a twelve. Right. Yeah, and obviously the higher, the more fat content it's going to have, and the less like meat, if you will. Japanese beef, though quality Japanese beef tends to be marbled a lot differently than American beef, right? If you're looking oh, for like, marbling, like which meat, is the it's fat butter, it's yeah. not, it's yeah. not even it's <laughs> streaks of meat through the butter. Yeah. The <laughs> fat is all there, but it, it looks more like snowflakes it on does. a piece of beef than mm-hmm. the thick veins we're used to seeing in, even in a beautiful, well-marbled piece of American beef that the marbling and the fat is, is large chunks of it that you can see running through it. But in Japanese beef, it's, it's almost this beautiful, like snowflake pattern. And it's, mm-hmm. the beef is more white. I've been told by people that, you know, that you can't put it under a camera light, like for a photo shoot, it'll oh, yeah. start to melt it'll under those melt. lights, yeah. you know, because it's so much fat. Mm-hmm. That gets to everybody thinks A5 Japanese from Japan, 100% Wagyu, which means black cow in Japanese. People think that's the most expensive, therefore it's the best. But you have to really enjoy a fatty cut of meat, and you're going to eat a lot less of it. Am I right on that? At least two to three ounces Max, Max yeah. maximum for, for even myself. Like foie gras. But it's, yeah. 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 Crazy. And like for somebody like myself, you know, the chef always wants to bring out Wagyu at the end of the meal for me, right? Like, oh, Al, you and your wife are here. Have some Wagyu. And I'm more of a grass-fed beef, lean meat kind of guy. And I feel bad because, you know, they're bringing out several hundred dollars worth of beef. And I'm like, okay, you know. But it's not for everybody. And yeah. I think I think it's important that people realize that you don't, get, don't just get the most expensive cut of steak in a restaurant. Talk to... Talk to your server well, about it, what it, you like. Yeah, and I feel like it's a luxury cut, too. It's like something yeah. that you eat for a celebration, kind of yeah. like caviar and, and champagne. You know, it's, it's something you want to just have once in a while to really 
it, it's not something that I would eat every day. No, no, no. <laughs> and, and you know what? It, it, I've have had a long life. <laughs> yeah, I've had multiple guests come in and they ask me because we have three types of of wagyu. We have the Japanese, the domestic, and Australian wagyu mm-hmm. on the on, on our uh, program. Um, and they ask me which one do you recommend? I've heard what uh, you know. Japanese wagyu is is the end all be all, right? And and I tell them, you know, my personal favorite is the Australian Wagyu. The one that we have on the menu right now is, you know, the West Holm beef and it's an F1 breed. So, um, Japanese cow and, uh, you know, uh, Australians, uh, female, um, raised 360 days, um, on grass and then finished on sorghum, Mm -hmm. um, and cotton seed husk, um, which gives it a really sweet flavor. And if you look at the marbleization on that type of cut or that type of beef, um, it's it's exactly what it is. F1, it's the first cross, first breed of that um, Australian Wagyu. Um, and, and it's 50-50. You literally, you can see the, the marbleization through, through and throughout and um, a good, you know, balance of, of actual meat. And it's it's actually got a nice, like, you know, to your point, like that popcorn taste mm-hmm. to it. Um, but it's not fed corn, you know. So um, it, it's really good. And, and it's... You, you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when you come in for okay. dinner, yeah, I'm going I'm to eat you, some. Are you talking have... about a sirloin cut? It's most, a sirloin. Yeah, yeah that's a sirloin cut. Because, yeah. Al, you're saying big blobs of fat. And that's more of, you know, the ribeye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's where you'll find that, you know, chunk sometimes. Yeah, ours is the right. sirloin cut. Yeah, that's what I figured. Just to yeah. clarify it. Cool. Another thing where, you know, people pay for it, but not everybody likes it, where it's not always a good idea to order the most expensive thing on the menu, dry-aged beef. I happen to love dry-aged beef. As I explain it to people, it's the idea that as you age beef to to break down the, the fiber to make it more tender, if you don't vacuum seal it, it's going to kind of stupid word, but evaporate a little. It's going to lose That's some weight. Stupid. It's going to concentrate the flavor. And it gets a much more concentrated flavor. It becomes much more expensive because you're losing weight on it. Exactly. But a lot of people don't like that concentration. I happen well, to have, like it, but it's to, a funky flavor. Yeah, you. I, I feel like, unfortunately, we have to kind of have a disclaimer right now because, I mean, my my beef that we're serving at Prez right now, it's it's over 120 days. You know, at one point I had three, four month beef that we were we were serving kind of like the old Carnivino days. And yeah, we had the whole cigar world that's been following me from from the Carnivino days. Like they were so excited because it really kind of took them back to, to that flavor profile. But yeah. when you're dry aging beef, you're you're doing three things. You're controlling the, the airflow, the temperature and the humidity. And like Al said, the enzymes are breaking down over time. Mm-hmm. The beef becomes re- resonated. It has a crust that protects it throughout the aging process. But by the time that beef is coming to our door, it's lost about 30% of its of its water weight. So it's... Plus you have to trim. You have to trim. So then you have the bark that you're removing. So you have waste. And there's really nothing you can do with that waste except mm-hmm. discard it. I tried to sell it to dog food companies over the years and it was making the dogs sick unfortunately was i want i want to make everybody beans. wants to make it you know grind it up and make yeah, a good hamburger something, but you yeah. can't because it's, it's, but, yeah. but it is i mean you know you served me i think a steak one time that was over a year in the aging room and i think you had to like crust the mold off of the outside of it and it was beautiful i mean i loved it but it's not for everyone when you get no, into that it, level well yeah. it doesn't have that 
that bloody no. uh, uh, texture to it. So people think, uh, oh, well, something's wrong with it because it gets it like almost a dark crimson kind of cover, you know, a color to it. It's, it's just a different look. You know, you have to you have to cook it less, you know, like a, me- mm-hmm. a medium is you're pulling at, at 105, you know, and it, it's like it's just you're cooking it so much less because it, it's got so much it one, it cooks so much faster because yeah. it's got less moisture. But, you know, and it's it, it's definitely a. I, what's an acquired taste. A, a, acquired taste, but I, I feel like it's also gained a lot of popularity over the years. You know, when we first opened Carne Vino, people didn't even know what dry-aged beef was. Mm. And then when we got to the point where we were opening a Carne Vino in Hong Kong, you know, and then you're explaining to a whole other market what dry-aged beef is. And now here in Vegas, depending on what clientele is in, in-house, like if we're CES, I can sell dry-aged meat all day long, you know. Mm-hmm summer to the tank top LA crowd <laughs> maybe not as much go grass fed in the summer but, <laughs> by way of contrast Life though a wet aged cut's been vacuum sealed it um it doesn't get as it doesn't lose that weight it doesn't necessarily concentrate and change the flavor as much but it still tenderizes the beef right so, so all wet ages is a cut of meat sitting on its own blood in mm-hmm. a bag you know, yep. that's, uh, if you want to put in layman's terms, that's yeah. exactly mm-hmm. it. But what it's doing, and you never want to wet age really beyond three to three to six weeks max. Yeah, and, it goes sour. And, yeah, yeah, and then exactly. you're you're just imparting minerality into that beef, you know, from it. It's own blood. It's own blood. Yeah. So it's um, people think it's something very romantic, but it's really. <laughs> It's really not. It's, but it yeah. does tenderize the beef. But it, it, it does. It, it does. Aging like is said. much easier for your body to digest because it's breaking itself down. Your body doesn't have to do any of that anymore. So you're getting a plus head start. it's concentrating. And when you say concentrating, you know, think of a piece of cheddar cheese that's fresh. It's creamy. It's sticky. It's cheddar. It's cheddar cheese. But when you dr- when you age it for a long time, it gets crystalline. It changes its texture. The flavor changes. The whole nutty, experience yeah. goes through a nuttiness. And the same thing is happening. With the with the protein in in, in meat, you know, and mm-hmm. steer in, in particular, as we're talking about mostly. Mm-hmm. I I I, lo- I love dry aging. I mean, I would kill. I, I I don't know how many times when I was in New York, a little trip over the bridge, you know, in Brooklyn, and have a uh, Peter Luger's. It was, was like you know. Well, like get into that in the news. <laughs> big treat. Big treat. Big treat. Palace. Mm-hmm. So. Um, a couple other things. Cuts. I think most people know what cuts. I mean. It, once in a while you hear like oh somebody has a cut that maybe especially when you come to Las Vegas a cut they haven't heard of before um, are, are there is there any like magic to like these special cuts of beef the Vegas cut that you may hear about or something well, like that what, what I like to do is I like to kind of trick consumers into eating a cut that they're not familiar with because right. it's it, you also want to utilize the entire animal as a mm-hmm. chef you know and I remember one of especially post-COVID, I was going to my farmers and I was saying, what what do you have an abundance of so I can support you and, and not just have the primal that, that every other chef is selling? Nice. So there were a ton of clod hearts out there. Clod heart is what you would make cope out of. It's like the, the shoulder cut. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how can I sell clod heart on menu? <laughs> not the greatest Best marketing deal. <laughs> so, clod. so we opened with a braised beef shoulder and did it similar to like a, a short rib, but mm. it, it sold really well and, and it was delicious and, and people loved it, but they had no idea they were eating clod heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so quick, because we are, man, we're, this is, time is flying and I love all the information you guys are sharing, but we're going to have to hit sort of lightning round kind of stuff. Um, as far as seasoning beef, right? And uh, right now I want to talk for the home cook, right? Because if I go into your restaurant, I know it's going to be perfect, both of your restaurants. But when you cut a, when you get a piece of beef at home, best way to season it, best way to cook it. 
what would you guys recommend? For me, I'm a purist and simplest. Um, I salt and pepper. That's 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 really it. Um, S and P. That's for me. S and P. That's it. You know, let the steak sit out at room temperature just for a few yep. minutes. Um, you know, pat it dry, season it, and it, whether it and it depends whether I'm searing it in a cast iron. You know, you want to have it nice and dry so it creates a nice crust. Um, but if you're grilling it, obviously, you know, S and P. If you got a big piece of meat. It's hard to overseason. The, yeah. the skin it's, is not going to allow it to stick. Yeah. It's not going to be too salty ever, really. It's very I, rarely. But that's another. I, you're saying just and, and it cooks off. Like, but that's why you want a great finishing salt. I would always say. I would 100%. always say yeah. like with any Almond, great cut of beef, I mean, finish finishing salt, some kind of great flake salt. I'm using Pacific Flake right now out of Humboldt, California, because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's family-owned business, and uh, good olive oil. Right now, I have Dyer Shikini's Tuscan olive oil that takes me back to to Pensano and mm-hmm. you know things that's like that funny because that's what we do with our beef here I mean um, during the cooking process we base it with the red wine shallot butter during the cooking process and then we finish it with a little bit of uh, um, frontoya olive oil mm-hmm. you know and uh, that's can, it can you get enough heat at your home to cook a steak properly because people think have told Daniel me had a can't. great point like I always suggest cast iron cast iron or a really high yes. grill yeah. or a green egg or, or something where you're getting that really, really high heat. And that's where so you make sure you have a fire extinguisher in hand. Okay. <laughs> There's going to be smoke. There's going to be smoke and cool. fireworks. <laughs> so uh, final thing, you guys, great, two, two great places to have a steak right here in resorts world. I love it. And maybe I'm not going to, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to mention another strip place that you like off the strip. Is there any place you like getting a, getting a good steak in the neighborhoods here in Las Vegas? Would, would Golden Steer be considered off-strip? Yeah, we'll yeah. call that off-strip. Yeah, I mean, I would say as far as old school and, you know, they just do a great job. I'm more of yeah. a Circus Circus Steakhouse fan I for I haven't that tried same it vibe, yet, but I've but heard I, that. I, I haven't either. Let's go together. I know. I've been wanting to try it. <laughs> I'll buy. <laughs> How about you, Daniel? Any place off the strip that you're, you're digging for a steak? Um, off the strip? Man, it's tough. Um, Gina's doing a good job at Harlow. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Gina's doing a good job at Harlow. Yeah. Gina Marinelli at yeah. Harlow in um, downtown Summerlin. Yeah, I would say that I would drive out there for that. Okay. So let me ask you, though. There's a lot more caviar being featured on the steak openings than I've seen in the past. Why would you say that? But why do you think? Because it's good. <laughs> It, no, yeah. no, it's just so suddenly it's yeah. become I, I, more it, prominent. It used to be, it, you'd see it on certain steakhouse menus, but not, I think now it's in boxes, it's featured. It's I feel like it's really, making think, a comeback a little bit. I, I think is. so. I mean, yeah. we've, we've been open for 10 days and we've sold 30 ounces in, in, in a week, you know, and, and we're going through, we're going through a significant amount of caviar and, yeah. and people are buying it. People are buying it. And, you know, um, we have a, a, an appetizer on our menu, Gougiers, yeah. you know, just Gougiers and caviar and we're going through almost 500 grams in a week of caviar. It's on a white, white chocolate. This was at Harlow. <laughs> you think it's weird? Try it. No, it's pretty amazing. Sounds good. Yes. Um, yeah, caviar is. We, we have to do a full show on caviar. And yeah. there's also a great caviar bar right across from both of your restaurants here. Exactly. Yeah, the Sean, they do a good job over there, Sean and those so guys. Well, I also yeah. think COVID kind of gave everybody a new appreciation for premium ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think it just kind of made us want to celebrate being in restaurants again and i agree i I know i want to well thank you both please stick around for the final segment of the show which we will be getting into the news real briefly another lightning round of news coming up right after this this is food and loathing
As you can hear, it's time for the news. A couple of quick hits before we wrap up for the day. Peter Lugers from New York's Williamsburg, Brooklyn, actually, is coming to Caesars Palace. A press release from Caesars says it will be opening in late 2022. To answer the um, the questions that are on everybody's mind, I sent an email over to the Caesars PR team to ask them things they didn't want to say in the press release. Um, <laughs> primarily, is this going into the Rayos spot? Yes, it is. So that's where it'll be located physically. And what does that mean for Old Homestead? Um, you know, because that seems a little weird to have two New York Institution steakhouses. Hmm. And um, they tell me that they are still very proud to have Old Homestead serving beef there and that it, it continues to be an amenity for their customers. It was worded in a very publicist way that yeah. <laughs> led me to believe I don't know how long the contract is. They haven't given me anything, but um, it appears that for at least a while, both of those steakhouses simultaneously will be open. Now, the question is, I never ate at Peter Luger's. I lived in Brooklyn for a long time. Seemed to me a lot of it was about the fuck you attitude of the wait staff and the fact that all you had was a porterhouse and there was sawdust on the floor. They wouldn't take credit cards. All the things that Vegas is not known for. It is funny that it's mm. going into that Rayo's spot because when Rayo's first opened, you guys remember Bubbles? The old old dude Bubbles that worked at Rayo's, he was actually no. in The Hangover and everything. But um, when I first reviewed it, he was a very gruff New York character, right? <laughs> and he was a great guy, really wonderful guy. He's, he's deceased now. But um, when I was there reviewing it for City Life, he kind of said something like, this bitch will take you to your seat and pointed at the hostess, yeah. which I put into my article. <laughs> and he had to have a little bit of um, of human resources training. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I felt bad because I liked him. He was a really nice guy. But that being said, I'm curious that all begs the question will that peter luger attitude <sighs> translate into a caesar's palace or will it just be a great name putting out great stakes Plus and that's I, it they're known this is an aging locker peter luger's in brooklyn that is it's got mold on the walls it's it's all wood but it's grandfathered in and it really has a serious effect on the flavor of the fat and the meat when it comes out of that locker, they open it once a day take it out close it up so the consistency of the temperature and the humidity and the airflow is all monitored and, and perfect so so it'd be interesting. I, I, I'm from the food side of it, but what you're saying, absolutely. You can't bring that attitude out here. And yeah, I mean, New York is, I mean, okay, we got Dick's Last Resort, I guess, right, in the Excalibur. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> but New York's, ad, and which isn't a New York place, but I meant that New York fuck you attitude does not translate to the Vegas customers. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we'll probably see a different mindset since I've never eaten at the one in New York. I yeah. could never afford it when I lived in Brooklyn. Um, I'll be excited to have it here. Maybe even get in on a comp. Hint, hint. No, I'm happy, <laughs> happy to pay. Happy Happy to pay Caesars, honestly. Um, next up, the Fancy Food Show is coming to Las Vegas. That's February 6th through the 8th at the Convention Center. I took part in an Instagram Live this week telling their fans why they should be excited about coming to our city. Now I figured I'd give you a rundown why I'm excited to have them here. We're going to have more on this in the next couple weeks. But um, this is an actual trade show, so it's open to F&B buyers and members of the food industry only. Chefs, caterers, etc. Not consumers. But you'll be able to sample specialty foods and beverages from around the world. Multiple categories. This is where you go to get a glimpse of what you hope next year's trends will be in, as the name suggests, fancy foods. Um, there will be international pavilions dedicated to the foods of specific countries, U.S.-based pavilions based on different states, um, pavilions for cheeses, for chocolates, for plant-based, educational seminars. You get the vibe. I've always heard great things about the fancy food shows. I'm excited about it being here in Las Vegas. Have any of you been to one? Oh, I'm, I'm super excited. So Zach Allen and I have made it our tradition for the last probably 10 years going together for our birthdays because we both have our birthdays in January. Uh. We would go to 
the San Francisco Fancy Food Show, do the Good Food Awards, hang out with Cesare Casella and Patrick <laughs> Martins from Heritage Foods USA, and then we would go to Swan Oyster Depot the next day for Love it. tons of great <clears throat> seafood. And uh, it's going to be different in Vegas, but I'm so excited that it's coming because I feel like it just kind of puts us on the map yet again as a, a real food city. And you can really just see the trajectory of our city changing exponentially right now. And it's just it's exciting to be part of it. I'm super excited about that. Um, do you do any demos or, or anything with that show? Have you ever been involved on that level? Just judging, judging the Good Food Awards. Gotcha. but that's yeah, They're asking me to do a demo. Okay, well, worth hopefully it, we'll, see there. we'll talk later. We're going to hopefully have um, an interview with somebody from there in an upcoming week. And you can get more info at specialtyfood.com. So staffing shortages are, again, making things dicey for a lot of restaurants in the Valley. Our good friend John Arena is uh, now closed uh, all uh, but one of his Metro Pizza locations last Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday. First time ever Metro has been closed for more than a day at a time. John told the RJ his staffers are COVID fatigued, emotionally strung out. And just needed a break. You know, six months for Nicole, 10 days for Daniel. Uh, how's staffing? Luckily enough, we opened and we were fully staffed yeah. from front and back of the house. Um, but just over the last couple of days, uh, we've we've lost a few staff members, but not towards COVID or anything like that. It was just, you know, natural your, your, your natural fallout. Yeah, but um, luckily enough, you know, with those four or five people in the back of the house gone, uh, we had five, six people show up at the front door saying, I want to work right now. So, <laughs> And that's what I've seen, too. I don't know if it's the hotel, just being a new hotel, yeah. but I, I mean, I'm, I'm at that six month sweet spot so you know you realize who's going to really be there for the long haul and who's not and i would say i only have like one more one more key position to really fill with with somebody that i really want to take my time with but other than that all my upper management is full all of our hourlies are full right now and you know people are coming by with resumes by the day just so I, I feel oh, like that's great want to yeah. work again. and you know you know what the great thing about being neighbors is that you know we were talking the other day about about this and you know if she's full, she'll send me people and, and kind of vice versa. So, you know, we just look kind of look out for each other down. That's great. Yeah. I'm more interested in who the RJ is staffed with right now. <laughs> written that article, to be honest. You should be like that at Mandalay, thing. too. Yeah. You, know, that's, yeah. you just well, look it, out for each other, you know? Yeah, we have, it feels like a family uh, yeah. environment here, you know? Yeah, Uber, Charlie Palmer, I mean, we'd all be swapping out things. Yeah, right. I'm so rich, rich. rich. Yeah. Ludafisk time. Yeah, I so want to what? go to this, but I have a prior to commitment. The Vegas Viking Lodge of the Sons of Norway does its 22nd annual Lutefisk dinner Saturday, January 29th at the Elks Lodge in Boulder City. The menu is Lutefisk, melted butter, and white sauce, because when you're Scandinavian, there's no such thing as too white. Roasted pork, <laughs> boiled potatoes, again with the white, peas and carrots, lefse, also white, and uh, Norwegian and other cookies. And here's what I really am going to miss, Akovit. The water of life. Yes. (laughs) I have looked at a dozen liquor stores around the valley, and I cannot find. I have a bottle in my house. Next time we uh, do one, I will come to your house tonight. I think the only time I've ever eaten lutefisk was because I drank a lot of Aquavit. I think during a webcast that I was doing. It's like yeah, it's like haggis and scotch. It's based on a dare. I had the only time I've had lutefisk was at the the home office of lutefisk, and that was in Oslo. For those who don't know what lutefisk is, listening to this podcast. Yes, lutefisk is basically cod jello. Okay, take yeah. it from there. It's preserved <laughs> in lye and then rinsed for a couple of days before actually consumed. But it's a whole thing with the side dishes. In I was told by the guys in Chopped Oslo, egg. there is there's a special potato that's 
grown in one region and is only harvested for the lutefisk season I mean, to be an accompaniment. Can we can we speak honestly here? And I'm like one of these guys that's like, I'll eat anything. You put it in front of me, a good <laughs> chef puts it in front of me, I'll eat fucking anything. I mean, I eat lamb's brains yeah. and, you know, whatever, testicles, and nobody can shake me. But do any of us believe that lutefisk is considered good or it was just the only way to keep fish so that you didn't starve in the middle of a oh, blizzard. Sure. Well, it was a celebratory thing. It was around Christmas, I think, it was Lutefisk, right? Isn't that, am I, uh, it's my understanding. Yeah, it's, uh, I was December when I was there in 2009, I think, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it was the season. It's, it's, but yeah, you still I mean, haven't we, answered we, my we question, turkey. does anybody yeah. like it? No. 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 It's not. Okay. no. You're right. Like haggis. It's to keep you from starving, it's it, the, pretty uh, much. Like, it's, it's, the taste like, is funky, but I can get by that, but that consistency of jello yeah, is the thing that really... Gotta brings it back Nothing. a couple of times. But if you want to go, it's old school, paper check and a self-addressed stamp envelope to somebody's address. Uh, there's all kind of, the, the, the website is really long. So go to eater.com, dig through an article that also talks about dining igloos and the Voltaggio brothers, and you'll find the website to, to get to the Lutefisk okay. Festival. Very helpful. Really. And speaking of those <laughs> Voltaggio brothers, they're cooking at Bellagio this weekend, Friday through Sunday at Harvest. I'll hopefully be interviewing them while they're there. And um, hopefully we'll be able to share that with you next week. And that is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thank you so much to all of my guests, Nicole, Daniel, Rick Moonen, of course. Rich, thanks for making us all sound so damn good. (laughs) And tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Say nice things about us, especially on Apple Podcasts. But we do want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. How come I can never say retweets Retweets. consistently? Because you're old. Professional, (laughs) damn it. Uh, Find everything you need to know. I can't say TikTok. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Neonmohawk.com or reach us direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. With producer Rich Johnson and Rick Moon and as well as Daniel Ontiveros and Nicole Brisson. I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. (laughs) 